welcome back to the Locked On Blues podcast. Locked On Live Network and your number one source for daily blues content. I'm Thomas Welch. I'm Josh Hyman. And I'm Joey Pazzola. Uh Today, as always, as customary during uh, during quarantine, uh, not a lot to talk about, but we did get a little nice little nugget from uh, our girlfriend, Tori Krug. Oh, boy. <laughs> said in an interview today uh, that his hit on Robert Thomas was, quote, the biggest rush of adrenaline I've ever felt on the ice, and that he didn't even think twice about his helmet being off in the moment. So the new rules being implemented and just thinking about the play in general, what do you guys think of that that comment? Um, Well, first of all, if if I'm re-envisioning myself in that moment when the when the hit happened, I was very 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 angry. Um, looking back on it, uh, I don't. Th- I was screaming for like a five minute major, you know, all that. Looking back on it, um, I was definitely a little bit in the heat of the moment there. Um, and I think Tommy, you said it, you said it best before the pod. I think in the playoffs, you don't really call that a penalty, but in the regular season, that's a charge any day of the week. Uh, you know, we we got, we just got to establish that before we even begin this conversation. I think by by dictionary definition, the, the NHL rule book that is a penalty. But I'm 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 not surprised it wasn't called, and I'm not wishing it was called, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that being said, uh, the fact that that's the biggest biggest rush of adrenaline you've ever had um, in your in your hockey career is in in it's a little it's a little uh, underwhelming, I'd say. I mean, yeah. I know I know there was probably a bigger rush of adrenaline for about twenty or so players a couple games later. Um, but that's just my take. He was on the wrong end of. Yeah, which he definitely was on the wrong end of. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was a big hit. It was a. It was a, a, a momentum changing hit. It was a you know a lot of adrenaline, like he said, a lot of uh, emotion in that hit. Um, but you know, Robert Thomas did aggravate an injury on that play. Um, from what was suspected, um, he, he didn't play a lot after that. So, I you know I don't have I don't love that hit. I don't I don't love seeing it rehashed constantly. But hey, it's it's all he's really got to take away from that series was one big check, and we have one big trophy. So. Yeah, can't really complain too much. I don't think it helps his case either that he's got such a hateable face. <laughs> if it was like a nicer player or like a player that like could actually like like, yes, then it wouldn't be as bad. But like just seeing his face like with his hair flopping over his or his nasty looking mug for the next like five minutes because they played the replay so many times, I was like, get this dude out of here. And he's short. Yeah, exactly. So it's like that, Wait, what it? it's like that dude in the bagel shop. Yeah, exactly. It's the same kind of It's the same kind of energy. You know, he got heated because David Perron was giving him the business. The bagel guy got heated because he couldn't get laid. Um, both of them uh, released that energy, that pent up short man adrenaline. Right. Both of them. Both of them got got short man mad, and they uh, and they took it out on on uh, unsuspecting victim. In Tori Cruz's case, it was Robert Thomas. In uh, short bagel guy's case, it was society. Twitch affiliate Robert Thomas. Fine. Twitch. Yeah. 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 Big, <laughs> Her partner. Twitch affiliate and partner. Oh baby. I don't know, Joey. What are your thoughts on the on the on the play in the comments? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just 
in general overblown. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a big thing to talk about right now, only because there's nothing to talk about it, or else we wouldn't be talking about it. I think. Um, I don't know. I think it's it's it happened. I mean, it is what it is. I don't have like a huge like. Uh, I, I don't think it's the, the a dirty play or like nothing crazy like that. I understand where he's coming from, saying it's the highlight of uh, or most adrenaline he's ever had on the ice. I get that, whatever. But uh, I mean, yeah, you said what it all came down to the context there with David Brown getting into it with him in, in the uh, front of the Bruins net, I believe is when it started. And then Tory Krug, the, the play went to the other end of the ice. Tory Krug finally got up after wrestling with Perron. And I believe he went like the whole ice, just full on sprint almost. Seeing that. And uh, the, the problem that everyone has with the hit itself is that he left his feet. Yeah, he left his feet a little bit. I mean, you're just going to, you're going to have those problems, especially with the shorter players, like a no pun intended on that one, but like, that's just, that's just how it goes sometimes with the shorter players. Um, but another thing that isn't going unsaid so far is Robert Thomas straight up had his head down. I mean, I get it. It was a charge by rules. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But I mean, yeah, Thomas could have easily had his head up on that one. Not saying he wouldn't have gotten hit or anything, but he easily could have saw it coming. Cause he and it was credit too. He was just getting to the puck when he got wrecked. So I'm sure he was, was a, it was a fast it, play. It was, for it was sure. Very, no, for sure. It wasn't like Robert Thomas just like, yeah, for sure. It wasn't like he just yeah. came with his head down. No, Tory Krug is, lucky that things worked out the way they did that Robert Thomas just happened to get that puck at that exact moment like it paths it had to work out perfectly for Troy Krug to be able to lay a clean hit in that instance would it, you know who knows if Robert Thomas didn't get the puck maybe that would have been maybe he would have interfered with him who knows I yeah say that puck gets chipped or something and the puck doesn't hit him and he, I mean he's still getting hit I mean that's just yeah then yeah. we're probably seeing I, the penalties I, you know what I mean? do think that if Tory Krug was a couple inches taller that would have been a would have been definitely been if, a penalty I agree I agree on that I think sure. I think him being five foot six um you know they didn't really give him the elevation required to make head contact or anything like that um no but jokes aside i do think that it it does help that he was short smaller because he wasn't really able what didn't the hit wasn't as destructive as it could have been if there was if there was a little bit more momentum and 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 weight involved with a bigger player i think then then we'd really be looking at a a pretty serious call but you know it was just a really you know like i said high momentum uh, play skating from one end of the ice to the other, a lot of anger associated with it, and he uh, he he found poor old Robert Thomas to take that aggression out on. Um, looking back, looking back, it's a cool moment. I'm not gonna lie, uh, it's just, it's one of those moments in the series that you can pinpoint. You remember exactly what happened. You know, we just straight up, not even looking at a video or anything. We just said exactly what happened, play by play, the whole time right there, because that's how memorable it was. But um, the way I'm looking at it right now is like, imagine if that was like. Uh, Oscar Sundquist and he did it to Tory Krug and I mean I feel like we wouldn't I feel like we wouldn't be as harsh as we are on Krug but like we'd be losing our minds ex- yeah exactly but I mean I don't know it's one of those mem- memorable plays though for sure and we'll always remember and always look back to it and thank god they won because now it's a it's a good memory see, to us um you guys see that one video I'm trying to find that on Twitter I think uh, I think it was like low def blues or something like that somebody um did a, uh, put a reply a video on the replies where it was the hit um, and then Robert Thomas got sent through a portal and they came out on the oh other end he got, and he, got the, he came out on the other end of the portal uh, lifting the Stanley Cup <laughs> 
Yeah, I haven't I seen, seen that, that one. I saw the Portal one, but I didn't no, see no, 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 no. It was, it was an updated one. It was an updated one where it was like I think we found out where Robert Thomas went after that. He got sent through like the portal, and it was all the special effects. And then it popped out on the other end, and it was him lifting the cup up over his head. That's beautiful. Uh, that was a pretty pretty sick video. Uh, I can't. I couldn't find it. I just checked real quick. I couldn't find it right away. But um, yeah. The thing about the crew kit that that just interests me as a whole, and thinking of like your themes in the NHL is like we talk about it all the time, but like obviously the playoffs are. A different beasts and uh like we were kind of saying I would probably get called a charge in the regular season and david perron's little evag and krug in front of the net would probably get called in the regular season but because it was a playoffs it's a different beast they kind of just say like let him play yeah um it's weird how like in every every difference it's weird how the regular season is so different from the playoffs and how the blues have kind of up on that and built their team for one that will it's succeed in the playoffs. Ooh, yeah, yeah, even, I, if they don't, even if they don't have a successful regular season. That's a that's a fun topic. Let's get into that after a, after a quick break because I, I got lots to say on that. That's a fun one. All right, Tommy. So you make a good point. We saw it in uh, 2012 with the LA Kings. We saw it this year, you could say, with the St. Louis Blues. All you got to do is get in because the playoffs are uh, absolutely a different animal. Uh, and like you said, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said the the Blues are built for the playoffs. I mean, when you think playoff hockey, you think grind it out, uh, tough as nails, surviving a seven-game series in the gulag. Uh, you know, just just it's, it's, all, it's almost uh, sometimes like a battle of the fittest, like who who can who can uh, have most guys left standing at the end? I mean, we saw it in the San Jose series. You know, the the Blues maybe started off series a little bit slower, uh, not at the peak of their game, and then by the end of it, they just wear their opponents down so much that they don't even have enough guys left on the bench to to field the full team. That was a great literal example, but I mean, even even lesser you know less obvious examples. I just think it's it's so hard to go against the St. Louis Blues in a seven game series just because of the style they play and because of the bodies they put it on the ice. They can bump and grind you and just wear you down over seven games and you know playing seven games and two weeks of playoff intensity hockey against a team like that is going to wear any team down and like we saw it it wore every single team down that they faced in last year's playoffs I mean that was that was how they won games uh, there's no question about it. it it wasn't high speed you know lots of goals it was it was grinded out defensive minded corner battles etc etc and that's how they won the Stanley Cup and I think that's exciting to see a bit of a bit of a throwback to old school hockey Exactly. And I feel like it's so funny to listen to people try and like discredit everything that the Blues went through and like that little Boston radio station that was like, this is the worst team. Like, I, I hate them. I can't stand them. It's like, yeah, no, literally like Blues. It's the same thing as like the Battle of Alberta, right? It's like guys just going out there playing with pure emotion, like, fighting for their teammates with their teeth bared. And it's like, that's raw hockey. That's entertaining. Watching people go out there and hit the shit out of each other is entertaining. As much as we like nowadays to talk about like the transfer from that kind of style of hockey to a speed-based one, and that's entertaining too. If you got like one team on one side of the spectrum that's just full speed, like Tampa Bay Lightning or whatever, Colorado Avalanche, those kind of guys, and they go up against a team hard-nosed as the Blues, it's going to be just absolute fireworks. And like, you're going to tell me that's not an entertaining game to watch? Bullshit. It's like it's like styles in MMA. It's like you got a striker versus a yeah. wrestler, and it's it's something's bound to happen. I mean, it's yeah, people like guys going to a speed game and, and whatnot, but like 
at the end of the day, it's it's who has the. Joey, Tommy, here. When <laughs> Joey cut out. All right, Joey. Joey is. Joey is uh, MIA. We'll we'll, we'll continue um, without him while he figures his. Uh, Oh, he, he's he's crackling. I hear movement. Um, anyways, yeah, like he was saying, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, it's really the matchup of two different, uh, two different styles. Oh, yeah, it's he's a, back. It's a, yeah, back. Uh, yeah, I'm cutting in and out like crazy in this episode. Welcome back. Right, what were you saying? <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, I don't even know anymore. But uh, uh, MMA, different style, different yeah. Style. Yeah. yeah, so different styles and like I look back to like the thirteen fourteen season with like Marcel Gok, JOC, uh, Dimitri Yaskin, and guys like Oof. that. Patrick Berglund. Those teams were built to run in the playoff or run in the regular season. I mean, you saw them contend for multiple presidents' trophies. They're always at the top of the standings in the league. Blah blah, blah whatnot. Hitchcock kind of brought that. Uh, you guys need to be more physical. You guys need to focus on defense first blah, blah blah and that kind of built the the foundation of what we saw last year fast forward to last year with guys like Pat Murray and Joel Edmondson Oscar Sundquist Ivan Babashev like all those guys are hard-nosed players they all they all know the same idea they got the same identity with defense first finish your checks do the, do the little things first and then we'll get to the the goals later they'll come and Craig Bruby is the one that fully brought that formula together and into one and finally obviously you saw what happened they won but um yeah it's it's a completely different almost almost different sport playoff hockey compared to regular season hockey what are they even just look at the Tampa Bay Lightning say like okay they broke all these records and and then what happened and they got waxed in the first round four games and and who's Columbus who's Columbus they're a tough team that grinds and gets pucks deep and gets the dirty goals that come to them and that's exactly what happened one thing that really stuck stuck out to me from last year's playoff run that I don't think we've ever really talked about um, is how much the the club really played as a unit and like how much every single individual factored into the wins and how much every single player mattered none more the other like we saw it when in, in a series when like in like the final when Vince Dunn went down for a couple games we or when Oscar Sunkfist went down for a couple a couple games like names that you wouldn't really expect to have a super super large impact on your success you you saw it was night and day without some of those depth guys um you know coming back in the lineup Vince Dunn was a, a gigantic impact when he returned to the lineup they, they played so much better defensively they really shored that up Oscar Sunkfist huge impact on the power play um uh, you know, uh, penalty kill, penalty um, kill as well, yeah, yeah. penalty kill, uh, and defensively, all that stuff. It's just there's so many like it's like a ripple effect when you add a, a guy like that into the lineup. You open up so much more opportunity um, for for you know grinding out hockey, like you said, where a guy like Oscar Sundquist who isn't going out there scoring you goals, but his his impact is definitely felt when it's not there. You know, the loss of his of his uh, third line grinding ability was actually so huge on that team versus like a, you know a team like Boston who who throughout the playoffs and throughout the finals was just kind of cycling out their their bottom six guys they weren't really I mean somewhat their third line was pretty good but I know like their fourth line was was pretty pretty much a turnstile for a while there um, and I think it just goes to show how much you can really have 18 guys out there playing like a or 19 in the case of if you had Bennington but 19 guys that are really just making an impact on every end of the every end of the ice uh, collectively as a unit versus as individuals. 
Yeah, tying everything, tying everything into one here. Um, looking into this year, I mean, that's what's so impressive about this team this year is that what do we just say? We're, we're not built for the regular season. I mean, we can you can ask any Blues fan you want. They're not they're not a team that's going to go out and get you 110 points and contend for a President's Trophy in first place in Western Conference. Yet here they are doing that exact thing, and yeah, we know that, that that's what's so scary about it is that one third of the team, along with the Boston Bruins, obviously that are supposed to be the most fatigued right now due to playing the most hockey last year. And then two, it's it's you're without Vlad and Tarasenko, your leading scorer. And then three, it's uh, you're not even a regular season team. You you know you're going to elevate your game that much more when it comes to playoff time. So if you got the number one seed in the Western Conference that hasn't even close to played their best game yet, that's that's a scary thought. And that's what's so impressive about this year's Blues. And uh, and I think I remember I remember at the time whenever uh, Sunquist was hurt, like looking up stats about like what our record was without him. And I can't remember exactly what the record was, but I know it was well below 500. So even like. Yeah, we talk a lot about Oscar Sundquist being like the greatest the hockey player of all time, but it really like it just goes to show in terms of like a two way player, in terms of his role he is on the team, in terms of just like it's attacking every asset of the game of hockey. He really is one of those players that I, he, he like holds the team together almost, you know, in every in every facet. And you know, I think this is this is a bit of a, a bit of a hot take, and, and and it's not like, and it's not to discredit any players, but you know, the Vladimir Tarasenko's of the world are great and are and help you elevate and help elevate any team to the next level. You know, you obviously Vladimir Tarasenko was a huge part of the Blues' success, but the Oscar Sungfist of the world win you cups. Not saying Vladimir Tarasenko doesn't, but it's guys like that that make like the little plays, the difference makers that that can be the dip, that can make or break a cup run. You know, as much as much as you can have superstars, goal scorers, et cetera, et cetera, you need those, you need the third line, fourth line grinders that can play really anywhere in your lineup and just go out there and give it 110%, make the right play, all that stuff. You know, it, it's it's so underrated what, what they're, the Oscar Tungfist, Ivan Barbashev, even Tyler Bozak, guys like that, their their uh, impact on the cup run is, is so, so large, so meaningful, and I, they definitely, Blues wouldn't have gotten anywhere near where they did without guys like that. That's such a good point, Josh. I would agree with that 100% because most of the time you talk about third and fourth liners, you talk about like, oh, like not as skilled and like you can't, it's kind of like almost ragging the players, right? But honestly, like, I w- especially like me, I, I would be proud to be a third or fourth liner, honestly, because like you kind of set the tone for the first, second lines and like giving them the energy they feed off of you and it, it like elevates their style of play, you know? Absolutely. I got two perfect examples for this. You can go two ways with this. It, it's all about obviously the salary cap. It's a salary cap game, it's a salary cap era. There's two routes you can go with this. You can go the Chicago Blackhawks route and have your top guys and be very top-heavy, but if you don't find your bottom six players, that's how important it is. You go from a a team that's contending for a cup year in, year out, to not even making the playoffs for, what, four years in a row now or something like that? But Mm -hmm. it's all due to not having a bottom six of the forward group, but they're so top-heavy. And then the the best way to look at this is look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. They are top-heavy with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, but yet they they continuously generate – Guys like Brian Russ, Connor Sheary, uh, Jake Gensel came out of nowhere pretty much. Uh, but they're they groom them to where they they know their role in the bottom six. They produce in the bottom six, and then obviously you get them up through the lineup that way. But there's two different ways you can go with it. And there's the Black Horse way where you completely fall off because you're top heavy, and then there's the Penguins way where you just keep continuing to produce and they're con- contending year in year out. Absolutely. All right, let's take let's take one more short break and then we'll and then we'll wrap this one up. 
right, boys, we're back. And yeah, Joe, you make a good point when you say that. And that's why like I have a lot of faith, I guess, in the Blues' long-term success. Like uh, a lot of people. Individually, yeah. so you well, can put them on any line. Yeah, yeah. That's why I have so much faith in the Blues' long-term success is because, um, you know, as much as you could argue that their window is is going to be closed in the next two, three, four years, I I, I disagree. Oh, I I highly disagree I, on that. Yeah, yeah. I've, seen that going around, I've seen going around. I've seen I've seen a lot of that going around Twitter that like Petrangelo leaving would be a window closing, um, et cetera, et cetera. Oh and no. Like, and like you think about it, and you think about like their big name right now like Petrangelo Tarasenko O'Reilly the big names that first of all aren't even you know aren't, aren't old by any means they're still on the right side of 30 all of them um and you know Petrangelo is being the oldest one there is a defenseman whose game is going to age well even if even if god forbid he leaves you have a tremendous replacement in Colton Pareko who can do a very similar job defensively to what he did you know there's there's so much so much that can be done with the Blues lineup just because of the versatility of the players that they have that I, I have a lot of faith in, in them for years to come. You know, we've seen guys like Sammy Blay play on the first line. We've seen guys like Sammy Blay play on the fourth line. And they've had just as much success with different styles of play. <clears throat> they got a lot of guys like that in the system. Clem Costin's a similar player, big body, you know, banging it out. They're, they got a lot of, a lot of you know, skilled forwards on both ends of the ice, both ends of the ice. Uh, defensemen that can move the puck but are also responsible in their own zone that's on the roster and in the ranks there's there's no reason to believe why Craig Ruby can't just take take whatever players you surround your O'Reilly Tarasenko uh, hopefully Petrangelo Pareko with and just form another another juggernaut of a team because that style of play can can translate to, to a lot of different players um, and work successfully like we saw yeah so out of, out of those core groups or core players you just mentioned Petrangelo O'Reilly Shin Sarasenko, Schwartz. The list goes on. There's only one 30-year-old in that group, and that's Alex Petrangelo. And I believe he is 30 or maybe just turned 31. He's and, 30, yeah. And so the the quote-unquote window that you need to be looking at right now is looking at the Shin deal. That I think it's an eight-year deal brings him to where he's like 36, 37, I think. Um, that's that's the window that you want to look at is that the next eight years, because what's Petrangelo going to get? He's going to get eight to, eight to ten years, right? Seven to ten years probably. Somewhere in that window. And then you look at the O'Reilly and Tarasenko deals, those are a little bit before the Shen deal comes up, but hey, they're going to agree up again with bigger money because it's down the line. So everything is in place for the Blues to be contending cup contenders for the next eight to ten years, and that's without even including your prospects yet. And you're going to obviously cycle through those year in, year out. I mean... There, th- this window is just opening. It's not. It's nowhere near closing. It's just opening. That's my. Opinion. I would also. I would also say. I'd throw into the mix. Uh, Jake Allen and Jordan Bennington's contracts being up at the same time <laughs> could cause some problems. But I would say O'Reilly and Tarasenko is overwhelming. If we can get past that, our window will sustain as far as we're long until the Shen deals up. But the the one thing that is in our favor that the Blackhawks uh, Pittsburgh's a little bit different in my opinion since Crosby and Malkin are absolutely elite. elite. I agree. Kate Kane is elite. Taze, in my opinion, that's that's a story for another day. But <laughs> the way they controlled the cap with the O'Reilly—I mean, obviously they didn't have a say in the O'Reilly cap, but they did with inquir- acquiring that cap. But the Tarasenko deal, the original Petrangelo deal, what he's on now—I mean, th- these are all deals that 
are setting you up for the future. You, you know, I mean, they didn't go out and overpay a Tarasenko for eight point five million over that span. Uh, and, you can even argue the Pareko deal. Yeah, the Pareko, yeah, that Pareko, great deal. That's a steal. Um, I have a feeling we're going to see we could potentially see something like that with Vince Dunn or, or Robert Thomas here within the next year or two. Um, but with everyone being on the same page, cap wise, and no one is kind of getting that ego, eh, we'll, we'll see the Bennington thing when it comes. But uh, everyone's kind of, you know, they're they're, they're, they're complying, and then with that, you're going to be contending your whole entire career almost. So it, that's that's one thing that is very in our favor. I mean, the two things that could potentially change that could be the Petrangelo deal, which I don't think it will break the bank at all. But I mean, obviously, you got to do some things to get it done. And then I think, in my opinion, the biggest one of them all is going to be the Bennington the Bennington extension. Those are the two keys of the the window of that we could per se. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a a good situation to be in, a good problem to have is like, oh, man, uh, the only way our window will succeed is if we re-sign our really elite players that have helped the window exist in the first place. It's a a nice problem to have if you'd even call it a problem. It's a salary cap. That's all it is, a salary cap area. And we might get get pretty lucky in the sense that this year, other than obviously the obvious Petrangelo, this is Far, far, far from what you'd expect to see uh, cap-wise for a, a team coming off a year removed from a Stanley Cup. You know, you'd expect them to be, you know, last year we lost Pat Maroon, Joel Edmondson, and Robbie Fabry. It, you know, and this year, worst case scenario, we lose one of Alex Petrangelo or Vince Dunn. Uh, and, and then like Jay Bowmeister retires, whatever. You're bringing back 90% of, of the team that won you the Cup. Um, salary cap's not moving much. And then when the, and then in a year, two years, when the salary cap starts to really explode as, as things get back to normal and you take into account the, the money that was supposed to get added to it this year, it, it's going to get distributed throughout the past uh, throughout future years. So salary cap's going to go up a lot when these bigger contracts, the Shen, Tarasenko, Bennington, the, when those contracts need to get signed, there's going to be a lot more wiggle room. And then the contracts that you already have signed, like the Pareko deal for 5.5 and, and the, the smaller deal deals that you have, like Perron's deal, the, the, the smaller deals that kind of seems like a little bit much at the time are going to seem like absolute steals when the cap goes up and are going to give the Blues the wiggle room that they need to really cheer up this core for a long time. I mean, you don't see a lot of Stanley Cup teams return to their full form the next year, and it, it's going to be the year afterwards, too. They're going to be pretty much have almost the exact same roster. And I think, I think another good point uh, that haven't really touched on yet we're, we're talking about uh all of our elite players and talking about locking them up right but also in terms of like a window try to like expand your window you have to start bringing in start locking up those guys that are going to be part of the new regime right but i think that robert thomas contract too i mean if you want to go along the same lines of like okay these contracts with pareko like he's playing on a great deal right now i mean you gotta lock up robert thomas for like five plus years right at least yeah 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 it's either, it's either gonna be that bridge deal or it's gonna it's gonna be a two three year bridge deal or it's gonna be a, a six seven eight year deal i mean i from what history's telling us is it's gonna be a bridge deal well that's how doug armstrong basically treated everyone uh i think pareko i think is the only one so far off the recent memory i mean i remember even jade schwartz going to arbitration and getting a a bridge deal leading to his extension i mean i think besides the big guy like tarasenko i think pareko is the only one that didn't get a bridge deal but 
Um, and in a way, we're kind of quote unquote lucky in a sense that Robert Thomas's play doesn't technically show on the on the uh, stat sheet just yet. I mean, he's not right. like a, a sixty point score right now. I mean, that's it doesn't say much, but it helps us in the long run. But I mean, obviously, when you watch him play by play, that dude is an absolute monster. He's a unit out there. Um, but yeah, what does he got? I think he's got another. He's next summer, I think. I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you look yep. at you look at the current cap uh, situation for the Blues, and you look at the defensemen uh, in particular. They're the Blues are really good at cap management. I mean, uh, very good. Doug Justin, Armstrong doesn't. Doug Armstrong got some heat, man. Besides Alex Petrangelo's potential, whatever. Justin Falk is going to be the highest paid defenseman at six and a half million, which you could argue is an overpayment for Falk. I argue that we haven't seen enough of him. He hasn't been given enough time to really, whatever. That's that's a topic for another day. Having your highest paid, or in this case, what will be hopefully our second highest paid defenseman, making six and a half million dollars, and you're a contending team. That is unbelievable. Look at the Sharks. Look at the Sharks right now. Carlson, Burns, and Vlasic. I mean, I think I think every one of them are making at least seven and a half feet. That's yeah, just three off the top of my head. Yeah, and, and you look at you look at other like defensemen don't grow on trees. That's why Justin Falk is making six and a half million dollars. Maybe that's a little bit too much for what he's capable of, but he'd be making that anywhere he played. He'd be making six and a half million anywhere he played, even regardless of how good you think he is, regardless of you think whether or not you think it's an overpayment. That's what a defenseman of his ability, that's what his cost is. It's six and a half million. And the fact that that Doug Armstrong is able to lock up Colton Pareko, who's one of the best defensemen in the league, he proves proved so in the playoffs for five and a half million for three more years. That's that's spectacular. You got Marco Scandella, three point two seven five, a a pay cut from what he was making. Um He's he's doing he's making that much for four more years, and then you even look at the forwards, and and their highest paid forward is seven and a half million dollars. You see so many players, Mitch Marner making ten eleven million dollars, Artem Panarin making eleven million dollars, and then you look at the Blues, and their top players making like close to half that. It's 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 crazy what their contract structure is looking like. Also, in terms of like everything that Ryan O'Reilly brings to the team, I mean, just keeping keeping the young guys after practice and running drills with them, a two way player, winning the Selkie, winning the Con Smythe, all that jazz. I mean, is is there a better seven and a half million contract in the NHL? I'm not sure that there is. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, <laughs> Vladimir Tarasenko could argue that. Yeah, and then you look up, and then the Blues signed Braden Shen to an eight year extension at six and a half mil, which is a steal for a second line center uh, top six player whatever you want to call him uh, six and a half mil is, is a great price for any I mean look at Kevin Hayes Kevin Hayes is making what seven and a half yeah we thought a, it was going to be something like that and play, it ended to, up being less than that yep yeah, to play a similar, albeit worse, role than Braden Shen. It, it, it's, you know, as much as you can look at the Blues contracts in a vacuum and be frustrated with them and say, oh, Falk's making too much, Shen's making too much, you shouldn't have extended Shen and Falk and Scandella and if he didn't get Petrangelo. You look at all the other teams in the NHL and some of the cap situations they're in and some of the big, gigantic contracts that they're never going to be able to get rid of, that doesn't exist on the Blues. I don't think the Blues have a single untradeable contract right now. Other than other than maybe Jake Allen's if there were, if there was more than a year left, but other than that, I mean, you, there's not a single contract on this roster that I would I would say is untradeable. The a lot only, of people don't the like only that. Only one I would look at would be Alex Steen making five. That's what I was going to say. A lot of people don't like that Steen contract, but we just talked about how important the the third and fourth lines are today, and I think he's the 
and the experience and the spearhead of those lines. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. PK too. And a lot of people don't take in count that PK. He's exactly uh, PK one, I believe, with O'Reilly, and then you got Barbashev and Sunquist on the second. Yeah, it, it's. It, it, I mean, Armstrong obviously has his flaws. Uh, some of his trades are not the best back way back when. Some of his contracts are a little iffy way back when. But you look at the current roster, and I can't come up with a single complaint with the way that it's structured. Contract wise, um, I think it's you know set up great for the future. And if God forbid Petrangelo leaves, that's going to be no fault of anyone in the organization. Um, if Petrangelo leaves, it's going to be because it just didn't work out. It's not going to be it's not going to be from a mismanagement of money or anything like that, which is really all you can ask for. I think I think that's a bad way to word it. I think if he leaves, it's it's his decision to leave. Right. I think yeah. He could he could throw oh twenty million a year on the table, and the Blues would say yeah. In my opinion, I mean obviously. No, it's not realistic. It wouldn't happen. But that's what I'm getting at. I think no matter what the Blues will do, whatever he wants in order to make it happen at the end of the day, as long as he doesn't leave. I mean, yeah, they're going to go through some hard negotiations to get to that final price. It's just like everything else. But yes. I, I think it's it's slim to none that he's gone, in my opinion. But last thing, last thing on the contracts, we were talking about uh, Justin Falk. I do think there's still a plan in place with that contract, and I think we're going to see it next summer with the expansion draft. But yeah. we're not going to dig into it because we got plenty to talk about with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, and we're, we're getting, um, getting towards the end of this episode, so let's let's wrap things up. You boys got anything anything uh, final words to add? Um, so uh, actually, just in terms of like the coronavirus, I know uh, that Missouri's talking about opening things back up on May fourth. I believe is that right, Joey? Yep, I'm I'm going back to work tomorrow. Actually, so yeah, but- May fourth. Missouri as the state as a whole is opening up, but I believe two thirds of the cases of COVID-19 reside in the St. Louis County. So if you're in the St. Louis County, because Missouri's opened up doesn't mean you have to go outside and like not wear a mask and all that stuff. You're still at risk. So I would just say, I would, I would say still be careful. Yeah. Uh, still be, still be practicing everything you've been doing during quarantine. No. Yeah, no things things opening up. Uh, opening it, up, there's there's limitations too, though. Right. Like I've I've yeah. seen some crazy stuff. And we don't even know what's gonna happen. Right, and and it doesn't mean like oh yeah, life is back to normal. Let's go. No, let's it's, go it's gonna be life. far from I that. Think, far from that. It would be very easy for things to open up. People to just. I mean, we've seen it in the in certain areas of, of places that didn't even uh, enact any sort of stay at home orders or whatever. Like all the protests, stupid stuff like that. Those are the those are the events that are that are causing things to to be at such a snail's pace like they are. So. If and when things do open up, wherever you are, you know, be cautious. Sit, maybe sit inside for another two, three weeks while things sort of open up slowly. Don't just immediately go to the mall with all your buddies and yeah, play it by ear. Exactly. Exactly. The, the sooner we sit on our asses and do nothing and and just be patient, the sooner this will all be behind us. If we're impatient and we and we go out and try to party and, and blah blah blah, then we're just gonna be right back in quarantine. Uh, when when the when it's spikes back up again so don't do that I want to go back to school sports. I want to go back to school in the fall I want to watch the Blues school, uh, but also sports yeah also sports <laughs> I, I, I want to see the Blues defend their title I want to see you know basketball baseball all the sports um, so that that's on us so let's let's we're in the home stretch hopefully uh, so yeah just enjoy our enjoy our podcast and stay inside uh, that's 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 my advice uh, wash your hands etc etc um, that being said thank you guys so much for listening follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Locked On Blues and as always let's go Blues